said the Shema every day, but especially in worship when the scriptures are proclaimed. So before we hear from the Gospel of Luke, would you stand and recite with me the Shema? Shema Israel, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and love your neighbor as yourself. Amen. You can have a seat. Our scripture passage for today is from the third chapter of the Gospel of Luke, beginning with verse 15. The people were very excited, and everyone was questioning in their hearts whether John might not be the Messiah. To all of them, John responded, I am baptizing you with water, but someone is coming who is stronger than I am. I don't deserve to untie his sandal strap. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. He will have his winnowing fork to hand, ready to sort out the mess on this threshing floor and gather the corn into his barn. Any rubbish he will burn with a fire that will never go out. John urged his news on the people with many other words, but Herod the Tetrarch, whom John had accused in the matter of his brother's wife Herodias, and for all the evil things which Herod had done, added this to his list of crimes, and he shut John up in prison. So it happened that, as all the people were being baptized, Jesus too was baptized and was praying. The heaven was opened, and the Holy Spirit descended in a bodily form like a dove upon him. There came a voice from heaven, You are my son, my dear son. I am delighted with you. This is the story of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Just before Christmas, I walked out my front door one evening to find one of Daniel's friends playing basketball in our driveway by himself. I hadn't seen this friend in a while. I was glad to see him, and I was glad that he was there, so I yelled out his name. But I said the wrong name, his taller brother's name. As we started talking, I realized this was clearly a case of mistaken identity that I had called him the wrong name, so I apologized and I said his right name, but he just blew it off and it said, it doesn't matter. I get it. I understand. I have two first names, so people often call me Shelly, and I know they mean me. I have a strange, unusual first name, so people sometimes call me Dina or Diana, and I know they mean me. And I have an awkward title, Reverend. What do you do with that? We had a Bible church group here as our guests not too long ago, and it was my assignment to pray for the larger group gathered in the sanctuary. It was a group of about 1,200. I was supposed to pray after the door prizes. And so the host asked me, well, what do, what do I call you? What are you? Are you a pastor or a minister or a preacher? And I just said, yeah, right, <laughs> whatever, <laughs> any of those, and Dinah works best. Luke doesn't want us to make those kinds of mistakes with Jesus. 
this gospel wants to make certain that we know who he is and we call him by the right name, Messiah, the one. The smaller story of Jesus' baptism sits in a larger passage that in our Bibles is marked out as chapter 3 of the gospel. And the whole of chapter 3 is about getting clear on exactly who Jesus is and who he is not. Now, all four Gospels tell the story of Jesus' baptism. It's an important scene. But, of course, the four writers have four different angles on, on this occurrence. In Matthew's Gospel, when John sees Jesus, he says, Now, wait a doggone minute. I'm not going to baptize you. You should baptize me. This should be the other way around. And Jesus says to John, just let this be. Do what's right. Do what God wants. Go ahead. Mark's gospel tells this story quickly, urgently, gives us just the essentials. Jesus is baptized by John. The heavens are torn apart. The spirit descends like a dove. And there's a voice that says, this is my son. The gospel of John doesn't speak of the water. John is so concerned with the purity of Jesus that he doesn't mention Jesus being washed alongside the riffraff. Just that John saw the Spirit come down and rest on Jesus like a dove, but nothing about the Jordan River. And then there's Luke. There's Luke, the gospel that we are thinking about today. For Luke, it is the crowd. For Luke, it's about the people. Luke wants us to notice the people. There's a crowd at the Jordan River. But this shouldn't surprise us because for Luke, it's been about the people. It's been about the crowd all along. Luke's gospel is the football stadium or the AT&T center of the good news. In Luke's gospel, you can't get away from the multitudes. And if you engage this gospel, if you engage this good news on Luke's terms, you're going to have to stand in line at some point. Consider what it would be like to put the first few chapters of this gospel on stage. It's a cast of thousands. There are fields full of shepherds and skies full of angels. There's a crowded Bethlehem with no room at the inn. And then there's a crowded Jerusalem temple. Chapter 3 opens up with a parade of political figures. There's Caesar and Pontius Pilate, Herod and his brothers, and the high priests. And it closes with the genealogy of Jesus a list of ancestors that begins with Joseph and goes all the way back to Adam. Now that's a crowd. That's a lot of people. And in between these two parades in chapter 3 sits the scene of Jesus' baptism where people are on the banks of the river. There are tax collectors there. There are soldiers, the wealthy, the poor, the religious, the curious. The gang's all here. So it's a really good thing that John the Baptist can bring the message because John the Baptist can hold the crowd's attention, right? He's not only eccentric, John the Baptist is also angry. This is no feel-good preacher. His opening address sounds like this, you brood of vipers. 
Can you imagine? What a greeting for a congregation. Then, then the preaching, he preaches of the coming wrath, telling the crowd that's gathered about an axe at the root of the tree, and the trees that don't produce fruit will be cut down and they'll be thrown into a fire. I think it would be difficult to drift off when this guy's preaching or get up and wander away. John speaks, he preaches with authority, and he preaches with judgment, and people like that. You know, John is probably a great candidate for the Messiah because he sees the way things should be. He could put things right. He could put the world in order. That's what we want from a, from a Messiah. And as people listen to him, they are filled with expectation and wonder. The text says this wonder is in their hearts. They wonder, is he the one? But who's going to be brave enough or foolish enough to ask him? Well, not to worry, John's rant rolls right into, I am not the Messiah. I am not the one. That's not me. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And if you can't feel the burn yet, let me paint a word picture for you about the chaff, the garbage, the waste. It will be thrown into a fire that is unquenchable. Yikes! Barbara Brown Taylor says that his preaching leads us to be on the lookout for an axe-wielding arsonist to enter the scene next. But it's not an axe-wielding arsonist, who is it? Well, first there's a message from our sponsor. Our sponsor is Herod, Herod Antipas, the Tetrarch who's in love with his brother's wife. He's in love with his brother's wife, and he marries her while his brother is still alive. This is the guy that locks John the Baptist up in prison. So John's out of the way. John is not the Messiah, Luke wants us to hear. And if for a split second you thought that it might be Herod, Herod might be the Messiah because he's the king of the Jews, it's not that slime ball. Don't waste one second wondering whether or not he's the Messiah. He is not. So enter into the waters of the Jordan a gentle carpenter. Did he set down his tools of the trade to come and help John baptize the multitudes? Nope. The text doesn't say that. Actually, nowhere in the Bible does Jesus baptize a single person. John baptizes. Jesus' disciples baptize. The apostle Paul baptizes, but Jesus does not. It's a little strange to me. You know, we count the number of baptisms around here in our congregation, and we have to report the number to the conference office every year. And we won't baptize a person more than once. We only do it one time. Baptism is an important sacrament. It's an important sacred moment. So why doesn't Jesus do it? Why doesn't Jesus pick up where John leaves off? Well, I'll tell you what I think. I'll tell you what I believe. That Jesus came not to claim power, but he came to give it away. It's his way. 
So what does he do when he gets to the river? Well, Fred Craddock says that Jesus simply gets in line. He gets in line and he waits for the word, next. And he's baptized along with everyone else. There's no distinction made here on the banks of the Jordan River. There's no fast pass line. There's no express line for those who would be paying with a credit card or no line that's faster for those with honorable titles. There's just one line, just one group, and the Messiah is right there in the middle of the crowd waiting for the call. Next. At the Denver, Colorado airport, you can check in and check your bags, and then you follow a walkway behind the counter to an escalator that travels down to a sea of people at TSA. As you ride down the escalator at the Denver airport, you can see for yourself the weight that lies ahead of you. Anyone been there to the Denver airport? Yeah. This summer, we went through Denver on a particularly busy day, and there were so many people waiting at TSA that they were spilling out of that cattle chute that, that weaves back and forth across the very large open room. The TSA agents were extending the line as we stepped into the back of it. It was a long wait. And there were people in that line from all over the world. I, I heard two languages other than English uh, spoken around me while I stood in line. And there was all kinds of attire, all kinds of dress, casual dress, immodest dress to show off a tattoo, business dress, formal Muslim dress. There was all kinds of dress. When we got to the front of the room, I had to hold my bag on my right side and follow the person that was directly in front of me while a German shepherd walked the other direction to get a whiff of all our bags. Then there was that get out your ID and your boarding pass and wait for the security agent to call you forward the next. Then off with your shoes and your belt and put your bags on the conveyor belt. Now, if I could go back in time after considering Luke's story of Jesus' baptism, if I could go back in time just a few months, I'd look a little more closely at the other people in the Denver TSA line because I'm pretty certain that that's the kind of place that Jesus likes to hang out. I'd look for him there, hanging out with all the other suspicious characters, every one of us trying to prove our innocence, you know, a prophet might have looked upon us, probably did from the escalator ride down, look at the big group down there on the floor and shout, you brood of vipers. You might think that Jesus would have security clearance, that he would step to the front of the line in Denver, that he's pre-check, obviously. But when the Holy Spirit hovers above the water and the voice calls out from heaven, the voice does not say, get out of those waters of repentance and away from all those sorry sinners. That's not what the voice says. Instead, the voice from heaven confirms that these waters of repentance are the Messiah's rightful place. The voice from heaven doesn't call anyone a sinner. 
the voice from heaven doesn't call anyone a snake or say a darn thing about a brood of vipers. The voice from heaven only says, this is my son. I love him. With him I am well pleased. It's John that says snakes. I might look at a crowd like that and say suckers. But when God has a chance to speak, God says loved. You are loved. We know of the Holy Spirit hovering above dark waters. This should sound familiar to you. You will find that image, that scene in the first creation story. Genesis chapter 1 verse 2 says this, The earth was a formless void, and darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit, the wind from God, swept over the face of the waters. Water for the ancient consciousness wasn't peaceful. Water for the ancient people was chaotic. And when the spirit hovers over the water, out of that combination comes creation, comes order, comes beauty, comes diversity. We speak of baptism waters as being waters of repentance. And so they change our course. They can change our direction. For Jesus, Jesus went from quiet carpentry to in-your-face sacrifice. But baptism waters always sit under the heading of loved. Baptism waters for Jesus and for you and for me always sit under the title of loved. You know how it is when different people say your name, when you hear a different voice say your name. Some voices you like to hear say your name, others not so much because they, the person who loves you says your name with a particular tone or a particular inflection. I want to ask you just for a minute to close your eyes and prayerfully think about what that voice sounds like. What does that voice sound like that calls your name? It might be uh, the voice of someone who is still living or someone who is no longer with us, the voice of a grandparent or a teacher or a friend. Can you hear it? That's your baptism name. That's your right name, beloved. Pray with me. Almighty God, the life that you birthed in us by baptism into Jesus Christ will never die. Your justice never fails. Your mercy is everlasting. Your healing river flows. Your spirit blows where you will, and we cannot stop you. Come upon us, Holy Spirit. Come upon this water. Let this water be for us drops of your mercy. Let this water remind us of your righteousness and your justice. Let this water open our ears to hear your voice clearly calling our name. Beloved. God knocking. <laughs>
no, no. Okay. We're going to, during this next, uh, as the worship team leads us in this next song, I'm going to give you the opportunity to renew your baptism. And so what that's going to look like is that Ryan and I will stand on either side of this altar and you can come forward. You can uh, 